Welcome, welcome everyone to another exciting episode of Between the Lines. I'm your host, IBK. Got a great show packed today to talk about a lot of things. Congratulations to Arsenal on picking up the Community Shield. We're going to be touching on that. Lou Ramos has gone to, um, has agreed a deal to PSG. We'll be touching on that. Some other transfer news. One or two friendlies we'll be touching on. USA has been kicked out of the Women's World Cup, their lowest rank in, in forever. We're going to be touching on that against Sweden. Um, our girls, that the African girls won, um, Af- um, won um, the FIBA, FIBA um, African Championship. We'll be touching on that. We've got a packed show to talk about various things and we'll be having a fantastic guest to join us later in the show. So let me start with the lady in the house. Lisa, what's up? Um, yeah, fine. Good evening, everyone. It's, it's been a great weekend. Um, yeah, we finally have our centre forward. Yeah, and good one for us now. Uh, yeah, I'm not really happy they won, but it's a plate, so it doesn't count. Yeah. All right, all right. Um, um, AY, what's up with you? Yeah, I'm good. I, I like how you said we're going to talk about the Community Shield. And we're going to talk about friendlies. Like, the community field is not a friendly. I like how you try to move it away from the friendly tag. You know? oh, wow. <laughs> that, I knew that, I was going to do that. Oh, that, wow. didn't fly, that. That didn't fly over me, man. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, congrats on win, winning your friendly, Arsenal. Uh, Why didn't you win your friendly today? Oh, we got a draw. I mean, it, it's a friendly. Oh, how, many, oh, okay. how, many, how many points did your friendly win today? Put on it, the table. It, it gave me a charity shield and how much is it? 250k? I have uh, okay, okay. Uh, anyway. <laughs> that Saka's contract uh uh salary for one week. So uh, can uh, dunk on Shaw's head again. On no. Shaw, uh, <laughs> uh remember when we played uh our friendly earlier uh, that was last month. Uh how did it end? Do you remember? My network is before... good, bro. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. uh, as you can see the banter has started already so um let's get to it yeah uh, all right uh ramsey what's up yeah it's good to be back again uh good evening everyone uh once again we go again uh been a beautiful weekend of course us now on the community shield uh it's really amazing to get one over pep guardiola it's fast to becoming uh, Block that whenever we face them, uh, they always find ways to beat us. Let them be at their worst. Their worst is always going to be better than our best. But this time around, we have results we're proud of. And um, it's okay for people that have not won anything recently to say that it is uh, last time they won something was last season. But this season has started, and Arsenal is the only team that has won the trophy. When you don't have any evidence, you explain tire. You are going to find defendings for whatever it is. But then there's a reason your team. There's a reason your team didn't make it to the community shield uh final. There's a reason. So if you were good enough, you will be at the final at Wembley today and you have a chance to win. Uh so Arsenal won, and then we're going to make this for as uh, much as we can. Uh, our girls are going to be playing in the next few hours. Play everything you know how to play. You're going to lose that game. But I'm going to cheer them back to uh, Lagos. Congratulations to them for making it to second round. We do not have the firepower to play the Lionesses. So it is what it is. And then for the FIBA girls, yeah, we're going to talk about them as well. And then uh, what else? Let the show begin. All right. Um, Ola Shegun, what's up? I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, yeah, no, this this the obviously everybody knows what's happened, the the community showed and, and stuff. But I, I'm very I'm I'm happy about it because yeah, it's a friendly and all that jazz. But I've realized something like when we talk about like city, the rhetoric around city is like, oh yeah, nobody nobody cares about city. The rivals are Arsenal, United, Chelsea, Liverpool, and you know, Tottenham, whatever. But I've realized like in 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 recent or of recent rather that I actually dislike City very much. Like there's hate in my heart for this team, and uh, to bid them like it made me like today when we won the game it was like okay yeah I really dislike these guys and yeah to bid them obviously now it is not a it doesn't have any bearing on the season but yeah I, I'm trying to trying to take that you know feeling of victory into the season and I really want to bid them uh, over the course of the season to to the league and to yeah. 
FA Cup, Carabao Cup, and Champions League. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very good feeling to win. And, uh, yeah, obviously, I'm happy with it. So, yeah, we can discuss that. All right. Olisa, Ol- Ol- what's up with you? I'm doing good, doing good. Enjoy today's win. And uh, we play tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to that. Oh, all right. Um, so who well, I saw let's start with the community shield. Zach is joining us, Zach Lowe is joining us in the next couple of seconds. So we'll hear his take on it as well. So um I will watch the game. It was it was slightly balanced. Arsenal had better chances in the first half. And then of course when De Bruyne comes in, I still think he's the best player in the Premier League. Um, I don't know if anybody has any argument with that. He changed the game into Man City's favor. They were not just um, um holding possession. They were they were dynamic with it. And Cole Palmer scored the equalizer through that. And um, Arsenal got the equalizer. Um, Scorey scored the first goal through that. Arsenal got the equalizer. The game was had a lot of feisty things about it, but it is what it is. I don't like the way Rodri gets away with murder. He got away with a couple today, and even I think even Bernardo Silva. But it is what it is. Man City, I think, you know, played very well. But everything came up, especially with this new rule of, you know, extending the extra time. Um, It was just, you know, people were like, should we, should we not? How is it going to look like? It didn't look so good. But Arsenal scored in 98 or 99 minutes. And then Man City's penalty was, at least that's their one weak link in this, in this machine showed in the penalty shootouts. They've been missing a lot of penalties even just before Haaland came in and Haaland burying almost all but one last season. So, big ups to them. So, Lisa, what's up with, with the game? Um, uh, oh, sorry. Was that me? Was that Lisa? No, Lisa. Oh. Uh, I, felt like the game, I felt like the game was pretty well balanced. I felt like... Uh... It was a much more like calm display from an from an Arsenal side that maybe you'd be used to seeing. Um, I really enjoyed it. I felt like the I felt like the defense, like particularly Saliba and um, Timber, showed like a real like a real poise, real like um, calm in sense of like pressure. Whether that was like a uh, pressure one on one with like um, Haaland early in the game, pressure one on one with like Bernardo Silva several times during the game, and I felt like they really did come through. The attack. Um, I had some reservations about it. Like, um, I didn't really love Harvest today, but it's not. You know, we can get we can get used to really? get used to that. I I I don't really you know, I don't like the idea of him as a striker. I've never I've never liked it. I never thought it was. I guess it's I guess it's just that I still don't understand why we bought him, and I'm I don't want to be negative about it. I'm just going to let it play out. You know, um, that's just how I feel about him. Martinelli, I felt like he he could have been better. I don't. I don't. I also. I just. Shall be like, come try. Come try and work through this. I just feel like a lot of times he gets into one on one situations, and the fact that he's not that effective as a dribbler stalls the attack sometimes. Like we end up having to like play six more passes just because Martinelli couldn't take his first in one on one. But I I think that's 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 uh uh. It might not be true though, because statistically, he's probably one of our best dribblers. No, not one okay, of. He is our best dribbler. Um, I think this game, and I think the the past couple of preseason games, he's been yeah. he's not been at his best. But you also mm. have to remember that I think he was injured at the end of last season. He didn't uh, finish Fair the enough, season. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, when when he when I think this game, there was a couple of times that. Um, he had no opportunities to score up Walker, but like it's Walker, you know, and it's yeah, it's, it's a Walker, tough yeah. it's a tough um, task task for anybody. But I think a couple of times, like he he went to the byline, he had a he had a good cross back. I think in, that's mm. what that was in the first half, early in the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's it's always going to be. T- I don't know, man. Like when a, a defend uh, an attacker is going up against, uh, I don't know, a Walker or Wan Bissaka or something like that. So I'm like, I tend to give them a little bit of leeway because it's a tough ask. It's a really tough, like to yeah. constantly beat your man. And you have to think about it with Martinelli. Timber is not overlapping him, you know, or when it's in Zinchenko, Zinchenko is not overlapping him. He always has to beat his man, like by himself. Yeah, you know? I, was, if he doesn't I, was, do that, I was thinking of that as well. If it was like, 
like I know it's the wrong side because he plays left sided, but if it was like Bellerin back in there, I feel like there were a number of wingers we could play with Bellerin who were even worse dribblers, I would much worse dribblers. But because Bellerin Bellerin's overlap would always pull the defense, you could work with there. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like even Saka, Saka, Saka has uh, Ben White. Like Saka doesn't always be his man, but he doesn't always have to because Odegaard comes to him. Uh, White is always overlapping. You know, Jesus comes to help him. Uh, it, it's it's much easier for Saka to be honest. I mean, Saka is the better player, of course, but like to take on the man and to like create a chance is easier for him, in my opinion. So I, I don't know, man. I think for Martinelli, he aesthetically doesn't look great, but it's a really tough ask what he's asked to do because he always has to beat his man by himself. And like, mm. <laughs> it's difficult, man, you know. Another thing I was going to ask is, how do you feel like the midfield got on? So like Rice, Rice and Party. I thought Party was very good. As well. I thought Party yeah. was good. I, in fact, I thought Party was very good. I thought it was about his first like About his first like 10 minutes. But that was yeah. I mean, the game, I mean, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's an intense game. Like the game is just starting whatever. Like, yeah. Okay, like just get get the rust out of your leg. But I thought okay. it was very good, um, and and extra credit to him because he got he got a yellow card in like the first I don't know nine ten minutes or whatever for like kicking the ball a meter away. So that mm-hmm. always like puts a handicap on like how physical you can be in challenges or whatever. But like after the first twenty minutes where it was just you know City all over us, he got his foot on the ball. He was receiving pa- passes from Saliba. He was he was finding um uh, Odegaard as frequently as possible. Uh, finding Saka sometimes too. I think he buzzed the midfield, to be honest, man. And with the fact that I don't know if yeah. Rice was, I don't know if we'll say Rice was playing like as as a double six or he was playing like left eight. I I I really don't know like how to tactically call that. I think Rice's Rice's um heat map would be one of the most interesting things I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, facts. But but I think Rice was really good as well. There was a couple of times that he came back. He had you know a couple of recovery challenges on on um, yeah. on on Rodri. I think when when they were doing a goal kick or whatever, like he would be on Rodri like really tight, and then when they get the ball, then he you know he drops off a little bit. But he was yeah, he was his athleticism was something that you know we, we've missed, and it was like it was really good in this game. I think the best player for us probably wasn't even any of those guys. I think it was probably Timber. Well, between Timber mm. and Saliba, in my opinion, because they marshaled that defense yeah. really well. Um, and Timber, this is like his first like start against the Premier League side. Well, against United, he played, but he wasn't good. Uh, but yeah. this game, it was it was a tough one for him because against Bernardo Silva, that's a tough ask, man. And I think in the first mm. ten minutes as well, Bernardo Silva was kind of cooking him a little bit, but he grew into yeah, the man. game. And uh, yeah, it, they they were just really good. I think that that's that axis that you know Pate, uh, Rice, Timber axis. Did you, what do you think oh. of City? Anything oh. about City? Who? City. Who? City. Oh, City. Oh, oh, yeah. bro. I mean, the Guardiola was really trying to like talk about how uh uh they have only played three games. Arsenal have played six. They are uh, Arsenal is ahead of them. Blah blah blah. I I don't That's know. I just thing to say. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, like, bro. <laughs> like, come on, man. I don't know. I felt like. The thing is, like, obviously, when you lose, when you lose Gundogan, it's it's a big miss to anybody. But I, I, they didn't feel like they had any cutting edge, especially in, like the first 20, 25 minutes. They were all over Arsenal, right? Because Arsenal was it was you know low block, mid block, whatever you want to call yeah. it. But I just there was nothing that was happening. I mean, they would get the ball out to the wings, and yeah. Bernardo Silva would take on Timber, and like it goes back, right? There was never any mm-hmm. balls in behind, so you obviously that's that's what you would imagine mm-hmm. a hard and loves. But they weren't they weren't playing that, you know. And like I, I'm very I'm very critical of. The reason why I I don't think that Rodri is the best DM in the league, and AY, I want to hear why you think he is. But the reason why I don't think he is because like this guy stands right, and he he's very very much. Uh, I get the ball, I touch, you touch, keep the ball moving. But like vertical passes, bro, find your man in between the lines. How much is he doing that shit? He, he's not doing that. A, oh, a player oh. beats him. A player just this last. A player beats him, and then he's like. He has to foul them because he doesn't have neither the agility nor the speed to get back. That cannot be the best team in the league, man. I'm sorry. Like for me, that's what I think oh. about him. All right, all right, all right. All right. Um, Zach, welcome to the show. Um, your your take on on the community shield. Yeah, it was a really good matchup, I thought. Um, and look, you look at the first 
23 minutes or so, it seemed like it was all one-way traffic because Manchester City were dominating possession. They were moving the ball around. Arsenal really couldn't uh, make the ball stick for a few seconds. And it looked like it was just going to be one of those days for City. But Arsenal, to their credit, you know, they they held uh, firm. They didn't let City get into many dangerous areas. In fact, uh, really the only times that that City had to threaten uh, Aaron Ramsdale was, I think, you know, Rodri's, uh, Rodri's long shot, which sailed wide of the goal. But ultimately, uh, it was it was interesting to see how Arsenal actually came away with with more of the uh, clear cut goal scoring chances from the first half, and I think that uh, you know there's there's been a lot of criticism of Kai Havertz in this episode, and you know fair 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 enough. But I do think that you have to give him credit for getting into these positions. You know, yes, he he probably should have had at least one goal in the first half. But I still I still think that uh, there's a lot to like from his performance um, in terms of holding the ball up uh, and as well as uh, using his physical frame to uh, win back possession. You know, we, we saw that. Um, at the, I think, 25th minute, right? Havertz uh, robs Stones of possession with a really good uh, and aggressive uh, tackle. Um, And Rodri, I mean, Rodri should have had at least uh, one yellow on three separate occasions. I really have no idea how he didn't get booked, but he certainly should have had it, uh, considering the fact that Arsenal got a yellow earlier on um, in the seventh minute for, for Partey doing the same thing. But uh, you saw Havertz kind of pr- providing that that nuisance up top. And that's something that definitely, you know, Arsenal struggled with last season, kind of missing that focal point without, without Gabriel Jesus. Um, and so with Jesus uh, sidelined with injury for the next few weeks, I think that Havertz definitely has, he, he'll be looking to beat out the likes of Folarin Balogun, who looks to be, uh, to be, you know, on his way out, as well as Eddie and Ketia, and 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 even uh, combat uh, Gabriel Jesus for the starting spot. But I, I think that you have to give Arsenal a lot of credit for their performance, the way that they defended. Um, somebody here mentioned Jurian Timber. Uh, I'm not sure who that was, but no, I, I completely agree. I think that Timber and yeah, Salibo very good as well, but Timber was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, so good at, you know, growing into the game, the way that Arsenal grew into the game, uh, not getting uh, psyched out by the amount of possession and chances that City were having, but also just holding his own, had so many crucial bo- blocks. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of people from what they saw of Timber in preseason as well as at Ajax, they, they realized, okay, this is going to be a, a, mo- a modern-day ball-playing center back who can slot into a lot of different positions. Uh, you know, who's really comfortable at um, carrying the ball forward and maneuvering his way out of pressure. And, yeah, we, we saw that a lot this uh, in today, but we also saw Timber getting in the way of crosses, of shots, and uh, making himself uh, known that he, you know, he's not going to be a defensive liability, and yeah, and just showing that he can slot in just about anywhere. Um, so yeah, I, I have to say Arsenal and City. This was definitely a very even keeled performance, and I think that Arsenal, even if they were to have lost on penalties, they still would have been taking a lot of positives because. This is something that they've struggled to do, hold their own and impose their game against Manchester City. Uh, And so to be able to do that, to be able to snatch a draw out of the jaws of defeat when everybody when it looked like City were going to run away after the Cole Palmer, uh, the Cole Palmer goal. I think that, you know, being able to hold their own absolutely massive for for Arsenal standpoint. Um, one player from the losing side, though, that I do want to point out is Manuel Akanji in comparison to his former mm-hmm. uh, Borussia Dortmund teammate, Erling Holland, who was quite subdued. I really felt that Akanji, you know, just continues to show 
that he's just such a fantastic bargain. So comfortable slotting in, whether that's at center back, right back, left back. Um, So, you know, just got a great combination of physical power and intelligence. You know, he's not going to lunge in and make any rash decisions on the ball, but is also just so good at uh at at getting forward and and putting in a cross for somebody who's you know a a natural center back um but yeah i i have to say despite the fact that city lost i still think there are a lot of positives especially from that goal you know phil foden uh turning past tomas parte getting forward didn't get an assist for that but he certainly should have and you know what a fantastic finish from Cole Palmer. This is somebody who I think is definitely going to have a big role to play. You know, I, City have had quite a quiet uh, transfer window. Obviously, they just uh, signed Josco Gavargiol for a mouthwatering sum, but, you know, haven't replaced Riyad Mahrez yet. Replaced Ilkay Gundogan with, um, with, with Mateo Kovacic. But I think that's what what we're going to see is more opportunities for Cole Palmer. I think it's telling that in comparison to so many other promising talents like Romeo Lavia, you know, City haven't loaned him out. They haven't sold him with a buyback fee. They they are going to uh, be be keen on giving him uh, chances to impress. So, yeah, I think that he will probably end up staying amid interest from other clubs. And I think he's certainly done himself a lot of favors with that phenomenal finish. Uh, just the kind of shot that you expect from a player with 10 years of senior experience, but just with the, uh, you know, speed of mind to, to take that shot on, to recognize the area to cut in and curl it into the left corner. Yeah. That, that was just a phenomenal finish. Uh, and I really am excited to see more of him this season. Yeah, all right, all right. Thank, thanks. Um, qu- quick one before we we ask other conversations. I did. Are these two teams the best teams in the Premier League this season, this coming season? Are they the Are they the major contenders, or any other guys who join them? Zach. I think so. Yeah, look, I, I think so. Um, I'm still trying to come up with my Premier League predictions for this season. But I think that, look, it, it a lot of it has to do with United, how their new signings are going to fit in. Because, you know, on the face of things, I do think that Onana is a big upgrade on De Gea in goal. Mason Mount, Rasmus Hojland, those are two players who I think can also offer a lot in terms of their off-the-ball dynamic, in terms of pressing and having more of an attacking threat. But, you know, is Hojland going to be able to uh, slot in immediately and provide that 15-20 goal uh, striker? I'm not so sure. It may be a work in progress. But yeah, I mean, we, we saw how Arsenal and City really pushed each other for the title and uh, I think that this this game, it really was fairly balanced because even when City were getting, uh, even when they were dominating the ball, Arsenal still, you know, to their credit, they were not folding. And I think that you have to give credit to a lot of players such as, you know, Declan Rice. I, I know a lot of pressure on him for his massive price tag, but uh, had some very good tackles, I think. And you, you look at that core that they have uh, in midfield and, and in defense. I think they've added a lot of quality to their team. So I do expect Arsenal to, to be coming into second. The question is, though, are we going to see um, what we saw last season, right, where it was Arsenal and City at the top and everybody else uh, kind, of, kind of far back chasing the pack, or are we going to see more of a genuine three-horse, four-horse race? What What is clear, though, is that City – despite this community shield win for Arsenal, uh, City are still going to be the hunted, not the hunters. They're going to be the ones that everybody realizes, you know what, I've got to go through. But despite the fact that this is a preseason friendly, um, I think that this is going to be really huge for Arsenal's confidence because, um, you know, you look back at Liverpool and obviously Liverpool, the only team to beat City to the title over the past six years, before they were able to do that, they needed to go head to head with City. They needed to beat them. They needed to show them that, you know, they're not scared of them. Because the fact is, it's so hard to beat City in a contest for consistency. You know, they're a team that just doesn't fall into 
uh, losing streaks. You know, they're they're a team that is going to be able to bounce back and and hold their concentration from the start to the end. And because of that, it's absolutely massive that Arsenal, uh, they recognize that that they can uh, compete with them. They can get past this fear factor and they can do that, you know, not just in, in matches against City, but over the course of the season. So that's going to be really huge for them. Uh, and I think that it's going to be just massive for them from a confidence standpoint. And I do expect Arsenal and City to finish top two once again. Or oh, all right, all right. Um, let's let's segue to other conversations. Um, quick, quick, um, quick one. Um, Ramsey, the um, excuse me, the the friendies that have happened this um this um holiday. Before we jump into the transfer markets, real quick, the friendies that have happened. Ay, you can chime in as well. The friendies that have happened. Have, have there been any pointers to how? Let's let's stick with the Premier League in this conversation. Have there been any pointers to how you think the league is going to go? Zach has said right now that he thinks that it's still going to be Man Man City, Arsenal, Arsenal, Man City, however you want to put it. And um, do you think that um, any other teams, like Liverpool's friendlies, Chelsea's friendlies, they've been doing good things. That's Chelsea. Liverpool have been doing good things in the friendly. Man U have been up and down, but you know you've been seeing some massive improvements. Um, Ramsey, and then Ewa, you can chime in with this as well. Okay, so uh, that's very generous of Zach to think highly of Arsenal to finish first or second <laughs> with Manchester City. Highly generous, generous of him. But then, uh, looking at the preseason, like we've established many times, uh, these are just friendly games, but they are meant for fitness, for um, tactical awareness, for coaches to be able to um, test with their players, really. But then, they can also tell us a thing or two. Uh, for Liverpool, the lost six central mid- midfielders, uh, Fabio left, Anderson left, Oxley Chamberlain left, Navigata left, Nuna left. Uh, this uh, Cavao went to, I think, Bundesliga as well. So, And then they only replaced them with two players, uh, Shobuzlai and uh, uh, Makalisa from Brighton. I think they're going to struggle if they do not get Lavia or probably go after Caicedo or that launch big and then look for a very strong uh, central midfielder or a DM, they are going to struggle, really, because uh, uh, Salah is looking like someone that is looking like a shadow of himself right now. Uh, in the preseason games, he hasn't really been shiny like that. And then for Chelsea, uh, I enjoyed some of their games. I think their young lads are going to impress. Uh, I really think that because they are not in Europe, regardless of uh, what has happened in some games in preseason, they are still going to uh, fight for something. Maybe not the league, but I think maybe for top four. And then for Manchester United, um, they've had a fairly good preseason. They got a striker now. Uh, let's see if they can probably get in another midfield uh, cover for Casemiro. Pradas, if they uh, with. Uh, Fred and Mark Tomini. So in that regard, their defense is as good as it gets. I don't know what's going to happen to Harry Maguire, but up front, they now have someone that can score. It didn't score a lot of goals last season, but it looks like someone that can uh, be their own island. So I think they're going to be up there in the top three conversation. Uh, so preseason is preseason. The real deal is going to start from next weekend. And then that is when we are really going to know if uh, we've learned something from preseason or we did not. Anyway, you want to say anything you want to add? Uh well I'm gonna I'm gonna add about um United I I don't think we've had a good preseason especially in the transfer uh market um I think we overplay overpaid for Mason Mount uh a player we probably didn't really need I think um we overpaid for Nana I think I would have preferred someone like um Diego Costa in goal you would have cost maybe. 10 million extra, but then he's a lot younger. He's um he he he's he, he's less um he's more risk averse if you compare him with Onana. Uh Oiland, I don't I think we overpaid for Oiland. If you consider how much uh Carlo Ramos is joining PSG for, he's joining PSG for about the same amount and he's a lot more experienced. So I think we've overpaid for players this summer. I I don't think we're gonna compete for the title. I think we're gonna be maybe third again, third or fourth, depending on how the other teams perform. Uh, but you know, it's uh it's a work in progress. We we'll, we'll see how it goes, especially with the takeover uh, and all that. Yeah. 
All right. Um, Zach, so back to you. Quick, yeah. quick, quick one before we move to other. Um, Chelsea keep to every every other day. We just hear they've signed a new Brazilian and they've signed another new Brazilian and they've signed another new Brazilian. Um, but what kind of strategy is this? Especially with all these forwards attacking with wing, wing forwards, center forwards that they are not even going to play. What's their strategy? This they, they just signed this new kid, David uh, is it Washington or so. Right, and I believe Washington's going out on loan to Strasbourg. So, look, with regards to Chelsea's window, they've spent a lot of money, and a lot of people, you know, they're, they're thinking, all this money being spent, where are the results? Because the fact is, um, it seems like Chelsea are not so much spending for a title cha- a title charge, but rather building for the long term, trying to develop their loan market, trying to develop Strasbourg and bringing in these these young players. Um, I they It was clear that going into the season, they had three major holes to fill, center forward, goalkeeper, and defensive midfielder. They haven't really brought in anybody in the defensive midfield role. It remains to be seen if Leslie Ugochuku can be that uh, defensive-minded player to partner Enzo Fernandez in the double pivot, or will they have to splurge the cash on someone like Romeo Lavia or Moises Caicedo. Goalkeeper, I think that they could have gone for a better option than Robert Sanchez. You know, he's he's better than being just a third-choice goalkeeper for Brighton. But, yeah, I, I don't think he's a top-notch goalkeeper. I would have perhaps gone for someone like Onana or Diogo Costa. Center forward, I like the signing of Nicholas Jackson. I think that he's a very talented striker, uh, just one year in professional football, but has shown a lot of attacking energy. And it, I think that right now, Chelsea, they still need to bring in more players to to make it a cohesive uh, unit. And for me, that the biggest uh, the biggest player that they need to go for is that defensive-minded midfielder uh to to partner Enzo with obviously they've also gone with they've they've gotten Axel Di Sassi from Monaco I like that piece of business I I don't think he's a premium defender but I think that he has a lot more quality on the ball than Trevo Chalaba I think that you you can't rely on Wesley Fofana's fitness and uh I think that also Thiago Silva uh, showed a lot of signs of of his age, so it's clear why they are going for uh, a center back. And I think that Di Sassi is very skilled at at pushing the ball forward and uh, playing switches and and crossfield balls. Uh, got a lot of quality in possession. My biggest concern, though, is you know how are you going to wh- where are you going to fit him in? Because obviously you've got some players such as Thiago Silva, Benoit Baliashil, Levi Colwell in central defense. Um, but yeah, so I don't think that Chelsea get back into the top four. I think that's a bit too much to ask Pochettino in his first year. But I think that they're on the right track. I think Pochettino is a really good pickup for them. You know, they're in a kind of a similar uh, situation to Tottenham in 2014 when Pochettino took over. You know, they are kind of, uh, they, they have hit rock bottom. They're in need of an identity uh, and that's that they really need somebody who's going to stay in charge for a few years and kind of mold his tactical identity on the pitch. And I think that could be Pochettino. All right. So um, concerning PSG, they finally picked up a striker that is a proper striker, not a wing forward kind of striker. He knows what he's doing. He's been around for a couple of seasons. He's not 21 or 19, 23. Knows where the back of the net is. He's got a hat trick in the World Cup already. Um, I know, I know, Zach, that you're very con- conversant with like the, you know, the Iberians in terms of the Portuguese, and you have a whole expose on them. Talk to us about Goncalo Ramos. Yeah, Gonzalo Ramos. He's a very uh, promising center forward. Um, you know, Benfica. They sold Darwin Nunez last summer for a massive fee, and um, they brought in Petar Musa from Boavista. But uh, we're really entrusting Gonzalo Ramos to take over the starting spot, and he did just that. Um, one of the top scorers in Portugal, somebody who has really proven to be a good uh, finisher, getting into some some uh, really good, dangerous goal scoring areas. 
and linking up well with the likes of Rafa Silva, Joao Mario, and David Neres in attack. Um, so yeah, proven to be a good self-sufficient striker capable of of uh, holding up the play and, and dealing with um, these physical duels. But I, I think that he's still, he's definitely a work in progress. I, I feel like another year at Benfica would have probably done him some good, but it's hard to reject that kind of money and, and you know, rejecting a move to a club like Paris Saint-Germain. Um, it was clear that Benfica, it was only a matter of time before they sold him. Um, and yeah, it just so happens that despite kind of falling off in form in terms of the final months of the season, uh, PSG see his potential and it's clear to see why he's very good at um at finding the back of the net you know has a very uh wide assortment of finishes uh and he's a player who i think yeah is, is going to be really the first traditional center forward that they've had since you know probably edinson cavani um so i think that really speaks to uh how psg are trying to rework the attack it looks like you know trying to go with uh Usmane Dembele on the right and Randal Kolomwani on the other flank or vice versa with Gonzalo Ramos in uh, spearheading the the trio. So I think that given the fact that um, Messi and perhaps Mbappe are off, given the fact that, you know, Hugo Ekitike really did not make much of an impression in his first year at PSG, they clearly needed to sign a center forward. And I think that Gonzalo Ramos... Um, you know, it, it's definitely a lot of money, but I think that the, the potential is is definitely there to suggest that he's going to be a good signing for them. Would you have preferred him to Highland? Um, would I have preferred him to Rasmus Hoijland? Yeah, I think would so. Have... I, think I I haven't. Yes. Um, I've definitely seen more of Ramos than Hoijland, so I'm a bit biased there, but. I think that uh, they're they're both good forwards. I think Ramos has more uh, goals uh, that that he scored over the past season. Um, so there's not too much to compare the two by, but but I think that Ramos for me he's a bit uh, stronger in terms of aerial duels and and holding the ball up. Whereas Hojland, I think he's he's very good at a lot of different attributes, but I think that Ramos just is a bit more polished at the moment. I mean, if you the, the the thing is, there's an argument for both of them, right? Oilong is coming from uh, a better league, right? Well, um, I mean, obviously the Serie A is a bit more competitive than the the Portuguese league. Uh, so if you look at it from that angle, you might prefer Oilong, and then of course Oilong is, I think, a couple of years younger than than Ramos. Uh, but on the other hand, Ramos is more exposed, you know. He has been to the World Cup. He's more of an established player than than Oiland. And personally, I think I would have preferred Ramos this season. And then maybe we could push for Oiland maybe next season after watching him for another year, allowing him to grow, uh, you know, further. But it is what it is. We have to um, trust the manager. Like I said, we, we, we really overpaid for him because I think the only other team showing interest in him was Paris Saint-Germain and they bid about £45 million and they didn't come back after they were rejected. While we bid about £20 million more. So sometimes opportunity costs should come into play when you're bidding for players. So I think that's how I see it, really. Uh, yes, Oshiman, how come, how come he hasn't gone? Uh, for for one, I think um, he's overpriced. Uh, I think um, the Napoli owner De Laurentiis is, is expecting about 150 euro, 50 million euros for him, because even uh, a club in Saudi Arabia bid 140 euros and they rejected that from Saudi Arabia. You know, when you look at um, a team from Saudi Arabia, is not it's not going to be a, a competitor with Napoli, so you would expect him to probably consider such an offer but if you can reject 140 million euros from Napoli, from from a team from Saudi Arabia then definitely 
you'll be expecting at least 150 from an European team. So I think the problem is the fee involved, really. Yeah, uh, let, let, let's move to the uh, Women's World Cup. Olisa, could you, could you give us an update on that? Okay, so I think the, the big story to start on is obviously the USA are gone. The big update is like a like Ramsey correctly predicted bold statement and turns out he was correct. The USA out of the Women's World Cup. And there's a lot of ways you can look at this argument. Some people have asked about, you know, like what's the big issue? Like, is this say like is this, you know, a generations thing? Is this like the players are aging out? Is this like a post thing? The quickest answer is it's a bunch of things. And it's not like the biggest I've seen people talk about this like it's um What's the name of that? What's the name of the team? Like uh the US the US like men's Olympics team from like 2004. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh the basketball men's Olympics team. Yeah, like um, I can't okay, yeah. what they call them. Yeah, but people are basically comparing it to that. And I feel dream like there's some parallels. Uh, not the dream team, but like the one that had Alan Iverson and all those guys, like they just they just couldn't get along. Like I feel like there's there's not that many comparisons to that, there's not that many similarities but they are a couple. And some of it is just that the coach of Lacko, it's not like it's not like this is the first time we've seen this. The last like three, four years have just been him essentially kind of struggling with finding his best lineups, finding exactly what kind of style he wants to play, um, finding what works best. Like like we're talking off mic earlier, AY, about like how, you know, people are happy about Megarampino missing. I think it's impressive that Megarampino was even playing games at this World Cup. I think there's many better options than her at this current stage. I know her experience is very is very important. I know like her leadership is important, which is why I think I think part of why they brought her to this tournament. But they played Ashley Sanchez zero minutes this entire tournament. I think that's crazy. Compared like this is also similar to how like um at the Olympics two years ago, they had Katarina Mercario, one of the very best players in the world, just went, just went to Chelsea. They played her zero minutes at the Olympics so they could play Tobin Heath and Omega Rapino a lot of minutes to get knocked out by Canada. So part of it is is the coach. Some of it is that they just didn't have impressive performances, especially coming through the group stage. Drawing 0-0 against Portugal is one of the saddest moments, I would say, of like the past decade for the US women's national team. So it's a combination of that generally. In the game against Sweden, particularly, I felt like they actually played well. That might be one of the better games they've had all tournament. They kind of, they kind of, um, they essentially woke up from like games they'd had in the past. But Sweden's Sweden's goalkeeper, especially, I can't remember her name right now. It's evading me. But she put on one of the most impressive displays you put on, like and like an like a really really vintage like World Cup type of performance. I think eleven saves, some of those huge saves to keep our team in it, and came down to penalties and. Um, I think Kelly O'Hara, Sophia Smith, and um, Michael Rapino missed to have, and then Sweden's penalty decided by VAR, basically by I don't even think a hair is really what the margin that decided it, and that's how Sweden got through. So, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't think you know. Some people talk about oh, is this the end of like uh, the the reign for for the US Women's National Team? I wouldn't say that. I would say there's there's nations who have invested money to compete on the same level as them, but the current crop of talent around them is way too talented for us to assume that, oh, this is going to be the end for U.S. women's national team. I don't think that, I don't think it's anywhere close. They're not going to be at the next Olympics in Paris because, you know, they didn't, they didn't um, qualifying for the Olympics is basically how far you get in the Women's World Cup. That's part of it. So they're going to have time to read, to, you know, build this all, build this all again from on the fly. But I don't think, I don't think by any means this is the end for them. Elsewhere in like the draws, Elsewhere in the draws, we had Japan, who actually let me start with Spain. So Spain destroyed Spain destroyed them, Switzerland five one. I don't think there's much to talk about. These are two teams where I don't think there was ever much comparison between them. Spain's a much better team than Switzerland, but also Switzerland showed some of the worst defending you see at really tournament level. So I'm just like um a lot of like uh staring at corners. Poor defense, poor defending on poor defending on crosses coming in. Um, they really let they let Etonabon Mati run run rampant, who had an amazing, amazing game, amazing performance, but a lot of that was also just questionable defending at the worst possible time. So 
Spain, Spain did a good job. I think also that part of the story of this game is um so in the previous game before that, the last game of the group stage, both Japan and Spain had qualified, and Spain lost four 0 to Japan in a game that they had seventy six percent possession, and Japan just absolutely destroyed them on the counter attack, just making inch perfect runs every single time, always always knowing exactly what pass to play, having been very very incisive at the correct time, picking off picking off Spain passes, you know, Spain passes perfectly. And Jorge Vilda came into this game and made five changes. One of those changes was he dropped Alexi Puteas, who I don't think it's more, I don't think it's, you know, dropping us as like a shame thing, but more of like um, she is two months into her rehab of ACL injury. So she's not been at her best this tournament. He also dropped their starting goalkeeper and started a player who was making their, a goalkeeper who was making their debut. He started a very, very young um, centre-back as well. Very, very inexperienced, who scored, you can go look it up, one of the funniest own goals you ski, you ever see. And so it's a bit like, um, I mentioned all the stuff about Spain earlier. It's a bit like Spain are kind of running with their heads off, but it is working. I don't want to say like it's not working. They made a lot of, they made a lot of good decisions as well, but they are doing some things that are very interesting very interesting at the moment. I don't really know what to think of it yet because it's working. But I would watch that come for the next coming game. They're going to play... Are they playing Japan? No, I think they're playing... Sorry, give me one second. I think they're playing Norway, are they? No, Japan. No, sorry, Japan. Japan yeah, no. they're playing Japan because no, wait, no, yeah, it's so not. Spain, no, no, no. Actually, Spain, they're Spain. playing the Netherlands. Sorry, not Japan. They're playing the Netherlands. Oh, playing Netherlands. the Netherlands. Okay. Um, other two games. Netherlands beat um, South Africa 2-0. I don't have really much to talk about with that one. Um, Japan beat Norway three one, and I'm interested in Japan. Like we've you know we've been we've been talking about Japan. I really I really just love Japan, and part of why I love them is because they like like I mentioned earlier they had the four the four nil defeat of um of Spain. Like they've been they've been very very incisive, especially against teams who would like to have possession, would like to like defend deep. They've been able. They've been able to pick off a lot of the teams where you would think that the stature of them, like all sorts of things, they should be able to do to them. Even teams where you would think, okay, maybe Japan's nature is more like um, they are like a smaller nation, like um, like I mean, like for physique of the players. But they've actually been pretty decent defending corners, defending like set pieces, attacking set pieces. This this tournament and making use of their experience in place in like certain positions, like they have Saki Kumagai, who's thirty one and. Actually, coming off one of the worst things of her career, but her experience at this sort of tournament is very much showing out when she's when she starts with the defense. They also have uh, players like Junendo, Junendo who's been very effective down the left flank, and so they they beat they beat Norway today. Some of that was Norway's, I don't want to say like inexperience, but Norway essentially just not showing up partially for the game. But Japan were really ruthless in this game, really put them away. Another thing about Japan that. And would might come out to be essentially it's, this is going to sound like I'm criticizing Spain for something I'm about to praise Japan for, in that Japan have been able to really really effectively rotate their squad. So I think they played they played twenty players this tournament. I think Spain's played more actually at twenty two, but they've been able to rotate players out where they can have a player who plays zero minutes in one game, it's going to play ninety minutes the next game because it just fits what they're trying to work out. They're also not a team that I think is heavily reliant on possession, creates a lot, creates a lot of chances like that. They do have the sort of tournament style football. Maybe that's like a a good example to use here would be like 2010's Chile, 2010's Uruguay, maybe even, where they have an understanding of each other on such a club level, club club style like level that it really brings out the best in all their players. So, so yeah, that's pretty much it on Japan. So besides that, we then have um we don't have the game, the couple games coming up, which are Australia, Denmark tomorrow, Nigeria, England, France, Morocco, uh, Colombia, Jamaica. And I mean, Ramsey said earlier, we don't really stand much of a chance against England. I agree. But I wouldn't say we there's no chance. I think England are a team that does have some problems. They lost uh, they lost Kira Walsh to, it turned out not to be an ACL injury, but it's going to keep out for, I think, most of the tournament now. So there are some frailties. With this England team, I think maybe another part of it is like Oshola gives any 
pretty much any defense you can think of gives them problems at, with the press, gives them problems like keeping keeping up a high line. So I do think there are there are ways for us to exploit for exploit England. I do think the problem would be we would have a lot of problems defending the firepower of like Lauren James or even like uh, Alexia Russo. So what about our firepower? Or do we have firepower? firepower? Uh, I don't really see it. I gotta be honest. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm being optimistic. I don't like Ramsey. Wore us off completely. I wouldn't say it's, it's zero chance. Mm. But it's very. It's very slim. It's very slim. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like losing. I think England right now are probably second favorites. Actually, I wouldn't say they're favorites. Maybe second favorites to win the tournament. So I wouldn't see any shame in that. But also. England, it's not like England have routed teams this tournament. I think the only team they actually did route was was it Panama, mm. and I, I I don't I essentially I don't care. You know they routed Panama. That's nice. They couldn't. They beat Haiti one 0 They beat what's the, what was the other team in their group? Denmark beat them one 0 as well. So I'm not. It's not like I've been impressed by their performances. I'm not. I'm not scared of them. But I'm not. I don't think. I don't think this is Australia. Essentially, let me put it that. I don't think this is a game where we're gonna. We're gonna really pull a surprise on them. Uh, yeah, I don't think yeah. we're gonna. Yeah, I don't think we're gonna pull a surprise on them. I think this this might be a harder one, especially since Serena Vigman is, I would say, definitely one of the best coaches in women's football. Mm. So yeah, that's pretty much uh pretty much my summary. Oh, um, I guess I should mention just two of the teams that just two of the teams that went home. Like this has been some of the biggest surprises we've ever seen at tournament. Um, Japan went not Japan, Germany went home. Got knocked out by uh, Korea. Was it Korea? Yeah, they got knocked out by Korea in a one-one draw. So they, so they're, so they're back home. Brazil also got knocked out, which, now nah, I should say it was a surprise. I couldn't say it wasn't that, not that surprising, but they got knocked out by Jamaica, who, which is actually a shock. I would say, yeah, that they got knocked out by, by Jamaica. So Jamaica is playing Colombia in one of the more interesting games in this in this tournament. One of those teams is going to be a quarter finalist, which. I have to check this, but I don't think this, I don't think either of those teams have ever made the quarterfinals before. I know Jamaica. Jamaica, Jamaica I know, certainly haven't. I know, I know, I know Jamaica haven't because yeah, this sorry. first time they're they're actually having a victory. Actually, yeah, this the is the first time they actually had a and, and the first uh, time they're getting out of the group stages. Like, yeah, yeah, and also, um, if anyone wants to check Colombia out, they have Linda Caicedo, who who. Yeah. Oh, bro! I saw, I saw that. Yeah, oh, yeah, you got a remarkable, remarkable story, answer and everything. Yeah, that's a good yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna go through the story. One of the most, one of the most interesting stories of this tournament. So, um, she's an 18 year old forward who I think already has 22 caps and seven goals for her country. And so, part of her story is that I think when she was 15, she was misdiagnosed, like misdiagnosed with gastroenteritis. Turns out she had ovarian cancer, and so she went through chemotherapy. This is about three years ago. Went through chemotherapy, since she fought through it. She's now cancer free, and I think she just joined Real Madrid. Is it? Just joined Real Madrid, and she's. Well, she also played at the under seventeen and under twenty World Cups in like the past year for our nation yeah. as well. Yeah. Was leading was leading the front line there, and now she's essentially leading the line for the senior team as well. So, I feel like there's a lot to love about this about this team. I really like I really like to see like her against like Khadija Shaw. Which is such those two two forwards that bring that really really make me like enjoy the game. I really I think this is really going to be one of the more fun games. It's not like it's not like it's teams that you really expect to be at this level. You know, mm. this is not like a Spain France. This is two teams where I think it's just going to be joy. Anyone who wins, this is something that this is something I really I really like really love to uh, love to watch. And yeah, I think that's that's pretty much every it's pretty much every game. Much every game. I guess I didn't talk about um France Morocco, but uh, I guess the only thing that's really going on there is the old coach Renard Pedro essentially knows most of the most of the players who'd be on the French national team because he used to coach Lyon for a long time. But it's Morocco. I don't. I'm not. I'd be really. I'd be shocked if they got a result against France. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Oh, once a word. The funniest thing, by the way, I, I'm I have to host now because my brother is, is uh, struggling with his network. But I just want to add, like, the funniest thing about like this international, uh, tournament is always like, the soft, uh, uh geopolitical undertones that always like. 
<laughs> surrounds like matches, you know. Like it's yeah. France, Morocco, it's uh Nigeria. I'm gonna England. say you're gonna talk about the colonial derby. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it was the the podcast what was I think last year. Uh, no, obviously not to bring like the men's walk up into it, but it was crazy. Yeah. Like the 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 group that had America, USA, <laughs> uh, America, England, and uh and Iran. <laughs> I was like, bro, that <laughs> was ridiculous, man. But uh yeah, anyways, we'll we'll, we'll keep an eye on that like during the week and uh yeah, next week we'll, we'll come yeah. back and like um yeah, give a review of, of what happened. Rooting for everybody colonized, of course. <laughs> You know, <laughs> but yeah. Anyways, um, let's let's switch to the female, the the women's, um, the FIBA Africa, uh, international tournaments, which apparently is going on, and it's be it's it. be bad of us if we didn't like touch on it. Is anybody watching it? Nah, well, I think we concluded already. I think Nigeria. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we won. Senegal in the final. Yeah, and that is, yeah, Nigeria beat Senegal in the final yesterday, and that's the fourth uh, consecutive FIBA championship that the Tigers are going to win. Yeah, Mm. it ended yesterday. So, against the champions of Africa, they beat beat Senegal in the final. Yeah, I think think that should automatically qualify them for the Olympics, right? I I think so. I I believe so. Yes, I was going to say also be Rwanda in the semifinal. Like, what's the significance of that? Like, is Rwanda like a good basketball team in Africa? Uh, they trounced them, so I don't really think so. No, Rwanda is not. Rwanda is not really up there in terms of female basketball, but uh, they've they've actually been doing really well. They they are winning this for the fourth consecutive time. So, I'm so so proud of them. I'm so 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 proud of them. So some of our some of our listeners have accused us of not following local basketball, and then we talk so much about foreign basketball. So we've talked about it now. I hope you are happy. Everybody has got to their fix. Uh, let's go to male basketball in the in the United States, the NBA. Uh, mm. I'm not a basketball fan, obviously. So uh, Ay uh, Ramsey and Ulysses can take this, but apparently, uh, Anton Anthony Davis got uh, a five year extension. Extension. What's the significance of that? How much was it? Blah blah blah. Um, was it? I thought it was three years. What, uh, three years. Five three years. years yeah. Three, yeah, three years. Yeah. T- talk to me about that, Ewa. Ewa, you on mute? Sorry, sorry. The significance is that uh, with uh, LeBron's uh, career winding down and with LeBron waning, it's actually very important for the Lakers to tie down the. Probably their best player right now. I think, yeah, uh, yeah the postseason probably proves that Anthony Davis is the Lakers' best player. So, moving forward, knowing fully well that they're going to lose LeBron either through a trade or retirement anytime soon, they've mm-hmm. got to lock their best player for the next couple of years. So, they have to now start thinking of building the team around Anthony Davis. Uh is he worth it? Yes. Uh, I know he's a very brittle player, but um not, not tying him down just probably just mean they'll be they'll be tanking for the next five, six years. So it made sense yeah. to yeah, to give him a new deal. And then moving forward, they're gonna have to start buying players that complement Anthony Davis more than probably complements LeBron James. So it's just a wise, the, the smart thing to do, really. It's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a no-brainer, yeah. Yeah, another thing I think to add to that is like, like you know, like AY mentioned, like oh, you know, he's a brittle player. This, this, that. Part of the problem that presents itself in the NBA is like you can say, no, we don't really like this guy. Like NFL teams can do this a lot. Like I think Kirk Cousins is a good example, where it's like, no, we don't really like this guy. He's not really our style. This, this, that. The NBA's problem is more like, okay, you don't like this guy. What else are you gonna do? And there's not really much of an option. You can decide like. We're not going to sign him to this big extension. He's too brittle, and that just means you have no, no like franchise level player for the next, God knows how long, and it's going to have to be bad. I know it's LA, so like, it's not like it's Memphis or something where if you lose a star player like that, this could be another decade of you never being relevant again. But it's, I just, I just think it's, it's essentially what they have to do, and it's not like he's not like okay when he's when he's like um when he's not on the courts. 
like he's not productive. This this series he had against the Grizzlies, I think I would I remember watching game one. That was one of some of the scariest defense I've seen any player play. Just some of the blocks he had. He had on Jaron Jackson's one. So blocks he had on Ja. At a level where this is the kind of player you should be paying this kind of money. So I get that it's a lot of money. All that money's fake. You know, the TV deal's coming. I don't see I don't see why this I don't think there's any reason to be worried about it. I think this is just what you should do. How just uh as an aside, how old is uh Anthony Davis? Is he 30? 30. Uh, yeah, yeah. In yeah. football, like footballers and I don't know, let's say 33, 34, is that the same in basketball? Like is that when their careers end or do they go longer or shorter? Oh, uh it's 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 a bit different. It's a bit different in, in basketball because the way the contracts are structured, you actually earn more as you grow older. I mean, as long mm-hmm. as you're competitive, right? Yeah. If you probably lose form, you're probably going to earn less. But usually players in most, maybe in their early 30s, from what I've seen, between, mm-hmm. let's say, 31 and, say, 35, that, that's when you get your mega deal in most cases, right? So, but if you are if you are a talent like LeBron, you can still earn money in your 40s, to be honest, because... Uh, you always like maybe you not get the max. You might probably lose maybe five million, six million a year, but you're still gonna end close to forty million. So, in basketball, the, pl- the players are most paid in their thirties, early thirties. Yeah. How how like successful is that? Because I would imagine that the older they get, the less good they are. Do, do you ever see a trend of like players getting like a max max contracts and then declining? Yeah, we've seen that many. Uh, like John Wall. Yeah, John. I was about to mention John Wall. Like John Wall. Yeah. Uh, of, of of course, it's not the same for every player, but generally, in the NBA, you get into the NBA in nineteen twenty. You're probably gonna peak around twenty eight, twenty seven, twenty eight in most cases. So by the time you get your next contract, which is probably twenty nine, thirty, that's probably gonna be your best contract. They're gonna want to tie you down in that period. So if you look at the NBA right now, the players around that age that are that are really good, like Yanis, they are tied down to huge deals already. Yeah. Uh, like uh, Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown's Jalen Brown is twenty six, and he's on a max already. He's on a super max that will keep him there till he's thirty one. I don't see him getting better than that, even when he's thirty one. <laughs> so yeah. I don't see that. So someone like Jalen Brown. He's already on his max. He's already at his peak in terms of earnings right now. Mm. Yeah. In the case of someone like Luka Doncic, who is in, I think Doncic is twenty four. I think <laughs> he got and, one more. He got two more. I mean. <laughs> yeah, he, he's got probably two more deals coming. So, so someone like Doncic got two more. Someone like Tatum probably got two more. If he's yeah. not, yeah, he's probably gonna get two more. So it depends on you know. There are ways you can just you know the players that are gonna get more eventually because they're just supremely talented. Also like Wim, yeah, so yeah. like when Benyama, if he I mean if he gets to the level we expect him to get, then he's gonna earn a lot of money probably till he's 40. But yeah. I don't I'm not that optimistic about it. But so it all depends. Yeah. It, it depends. It depends. Oh. Yeah. Just just to like just to like close it out. Like on the, you know, on the players like making money into their 30s. It's almost a crapshoot sometimes. Like we do have like the Westbrook stories. But we also have people like, um, and I feel like, I feel bad mentioning some of these people because it's like, there's almost freaks in the way like they can stay healthy. Like people like Steph Curry. People like, uh, I guess like Chris. Ah, Chris Paul's a bad example, but also kind of what I mean. Like he's 38. Yeah. So like we we do see more players now who can stay healthier for longer. Where it was the era where where it was all like a point guard is thirty, you have to cut him. Like if if yeah. he's playing at thirty one, he's about to break down. Like we don't longer have like the running back situation where there's almost like a cliff edge. Did you see guys who like all the sports science thing being able to rest guys properly, like a deeper understanding of like how playing eighty two games would shorten your career every season. So like. I do feel like it is better, but they are also like you do run into bad stories. Like I think a good example is the Clippers have to choose whether they want to play um, PG and Kawhi this year. That is going to be one of the most interesting things that happens. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't. I really don't know what choice they're going to make. But it's situations like that where 
you might end up having a situation where you have two guys in your 30s, you're paying this kind of money, and you're essentially you're stuck. I think, talking about the Clippers, I think the Clippers should just get rid of both of them. I, I think that's the easiest answer. Yeah, because I'm not, it's not like they're not good players, but they're yeah. not fit. They're always injured. And then there's yeah. no, I, I, for example, Kawhi. I don't think Kawhi is that interested in basketball anymore. Like, yeah. just, he doesn't appear interested. I mean, you can see people just trying, but Kawhi, even when he's feet, I don't, I don't see that stuff. I don't, I don't see it in yeah. him anymore. We have, we have to. Like, yeah, it seems to me like someone that is no longer interested in basketball. We uh, have so. to close in like a minute. But one thing I did, I think we need to mention about the why the Clippers might want to do this is because, you know, Bama paid all this money. They're building this this um stadium in Englewood. It's going to be open in like two years. If you have to open it without any star, that might be a problem. That's I think that's the way they're looking at it. Really. Mm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, maybe, maybe eventually they gotta pick one of them. If I had to pick, I think I'll pick jo- Paul George. Though, I think Paul yeah. George is still more committed than Kawhi. Even though I think Kawhi is more talented. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, good, good roundup of of all the sports. I think we were able to get through to um, yeah, m- the things that we wanted to talk about. Big, big, big shout out to to Zach Lowe for for dropping by and giving us. Uh, you know, detailed breakdown on obviously the 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 community shield game and then um Gonzalo Ramos and obviously PSG as well. Um yeah, it's it was it was a good one. My brother had to drop out his network wasn't agreeing with him, but you know that's uh, that's Barry's uh, Barry, you know, that's uh was Nigeria for you. <laughs> but anyways, thank you guys. Um City is going to wallop Burnley. <laughs> I'll be there no matter what. But yeah, we'll be back for next week after the Premier League returns. And yeah, thank you guys and peace. Good night. Yeah, cheers.